today is number three in our series called Higher Love. Higher Love was a song in the 90s by one of my favorites back when music was really good in the 90s. And, um, well, now this is pretty good music. There's a new artist out called Yeba that's really great. She's, I hear she's... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Steve uh, sang this song called Higher Love, and I just, man, was crazy about it. And we did a little bit of research. We Googled it. You could check this out yourself. A young boy, young man from Arkansas, grew up in a little rural church in Arkansas, was reminiscing over the great old hymns that his grandparents sang in little backwoods country churches, talking about, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, plant my feet on higher ground, and talking about a higher love, and all these different kinds of things. And he had the desire to write a, uh, a kind of a modern hymn that would appeal to the larger population and wouldn't be churchy sounding, okay? And so he wrote Higher Love and it got pitched to Steve Winwood and Steve made it famous. So when we were talking about how we were going to package the fruit of the Spirit, Pastor Haley said, why don't we call it Higher Love? A lot of our creative ideas, uh, she is a real contributor in that, and so... Uh, and then Pastor Jeremy threw his in, and then, and then uh, Heather, his better half, designed this thing for us. And so we're talking, about, we're talking about higher love. By the way, did Pastor Jeremy do a great job on that video? Come on, give him a hand. He got his creative juices flowing, and that was his idea. So I want to give credit. I have an amazing team, I just tell you. They're all amazing. Praise God. Um, but we, Pastor Haley started it two Sundays back and talked about love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Last Sunday, I showed you an idea that you might not have ever heard, but I believe there's only one fruit of the Spirit, love, and all of the others are expressions of that love. Love is God's nature. First John says, God is love. And so this morning, as we pick up on that, we talked about love being God's nature, the fruit of His character. Last week was joy is love's overflowing. It is popping the cork on the champagne bottle and it all just begins to roll out, the bubbly. It's the joy of the Lord in your life which strengthens you. We preached that last Sunday. You're not going to go back to review it. But today we pick up with this next expression of the fruit of the Spirit love and this one is called peace. So today's message is called Ruling Peace. Interesting title and that will make sense by the time we get to the end of the message this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would stand one more time. And we're going to read two verses of Scripture out of John and then two out of um, the book of Colossians. And so find a screen this morning and let's read this out loud together. Everybody join me. Come on, here we go. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Okay, we are in Colossians chapter 3 uh, in our text for today, verse 14. Here we go. Let's read it together. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ, there it is, rule in your hearts. For as members of one body... You are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we love you today. We're so grateful for your everlasting love for us. It's unending. It's unconditional. 
Lord, we, we celebrate the fact that there's nothing we could do to make you love us more. And Lord, the other side of that coin is there's nothing that we could do to make you love us less. And Lord, so we just, with that awareness, we do what Jesus said, remain in your love, abide in it. Lord, we just stop to meditate on it and think about it. We thank you for Jesus that you sent him to demonstrate to us and show us what the love of God is like. And he stretched out his hands and he died for us in our place. Thank you, Jesus. God, I acknowledge before you and every person hearing this that I'm utterly dependent upon you. I need you today, Father. I ask you to be my words, be my thoughts in my mind. Lord, be listening ears in the hearts of the people this morning. Give us understanding, give us insight, give us perception. Uh, the book of Proverbs says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. God, give us understanding today. We need peace in our hearts. We'll be careful to give you the praise, for yours is the glory. All of God's people said, Amen. Before you're seated, turn and greet a couple of folks, tell them you're glad to see them. Amen. Wonderful. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Hey, my brother. I got to go back to work, but I had to see you, man. I'm, I'm glad you did, Greg. Know, he got to go to work, but he wanted to come hug my neck. I love you, Greg. Love you, too. Love you very much, my brother. There ain't a shy bone in that man's body. One thing. One One thing. Charlie, you can sit down too. Oh. <laughs> I'm teasing you. <laughs> Peace is love's tranquility. We talked about joy. Joy is love's overflowing. It's the effervescence of the love of God. Peace is love's tranquility. The calm in storms, the poise in conflict, power in weakness, provision in need. I'm going to ask you to read that with me one more time. Here we go. Peace is love's tranquility, the calm in storms, poise in conflict, power in weakness, provision in need. Now, we want to ask the question as we begin this morning, what is peace? Because if you go to the dictionary, Webster's will define it negatively. It will say peace is the absence of war or the lack of strife or tension. And I'm not satisfied with that. I, I, I think that, that, that Bible ideas must be defined by Bible itself. We have to go back and look at the Word. We have to see uh, the, the rich usage of that Word. So we have to go back to the original language because sometimes these things just don't translate. What was understood in the Hebrew or the Greek, Hebrew in the Old Testament, a little bit of Chaldean, Greek or Aramaic in the New Testament, many times doesn't, it loses something in the translation. And it's not fully there. We get, we, we get a little bit of the, the edges of it, but we don't sometimes miss the heart of it. And, and, and what you hear when you hear the word peace uh, many times is that Webster's idea of no war. I, I remember the old Negro spiritual said, going to lay down my burdens down by the riverside, down by the riverside. And it said, ain't going to study no war no more. Ain't going to study no war no more. 
ain't going to study no war no more. Now, obviously, I'm thankful that there is a time coming in a new heaven and a new earth where we will have peace on earth. And we long for that. We celebrate that for a few weeks every Advent, Christmas season. Uh, everybody all of a sudden gets very sacrificial and we give to folk that we don't normally give to. Wouldn't it be great if we as believers, as Christians especially, would just rise up and be the church all year long and, 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 and be loving and be kind and be considerate and the things that we do when we get in the Christmas spirit, what if we actually did that all year long and people could start to see the light of the gospel shining through his representative group of people on the planet, and that's called the Church of Jesus Christ. You can say amen anytime you want to. Peace is love's tranquility, the calm in storms, poise in conflict, power and weakness, provision and need. When I ask the question, what is peace, I want to look to the Bible language, particularly because it's laid in the foundation of the word in the Old Covenant, and the Old Covenant is in Hebrew. Hebrew is an unusual language in that it's not like our Western understanding of reading from left to right. Hebrew is read from right to left. And one word can have such a rich fullness of meaning. And the word that I want to use this morning for peace is one that you've probably been familiar with. Everybody say shalom. shalom. Matter of fact, if you want to take it southern, look at your neighbor and say shalom, y'all. And so faithful followers of Yahweh, Jewish people would greet one another shalom. Uh, when they would depart, they would say shalom. And so it's the peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, but defining that word peace is much larger than how Webster's tells us the absence of war or the lack of conflict or strife. There's a positive side to it because the concept of shalom in the Hebrew literally means wholeness, integrity. You remember from your fifth grade math class, you started learning about integers. Integers were whole numbers. Integrity is wholeness. It means there's integrity in you. You have soundness of mind and health of body and, and wholeness in your soul and in your heart. And brokenness has been healed. Peace has come to abide in your life. When Christ comes into our hearts, He brings peace with Him. I want you to recognize that it's not merely defined negatively as the absence of something, but it's defined positively as peace and power and prosperity and provision of God. It's matter of fact, when the word shalom is translated in numerous passages in the Old Testament, in the law, in the Psalms, in the prophets, sometimes it will come as the power of God. Sometimes it will show up as the prosperity or the blessing of God because wholeness is a canopy, an umbrella, under which all of those concepts contribute. If I'm going to be whole, if I'm going to be really at peace in my mind and peace in my body, I'm going to be at ease and not diseased. Some of you got that. Disease is the product of dis-ease. There's a lack of peace biologically, pathologically, uh, in your system, in your organs somewhere. There is not ease. There is... There is, there's, a, there's an absence of, of, of uh, integrity. There's an absence of wholeness. There's something wrong. There is dis-ease. Okay? Number two, the point this morning I want to bring is that Jesus is our peace. 
He demonstrated the love of God. And everywhere you're going to see all of these fruits of the Spirit, when you go to the Word, it's interesting that love will always be somewhere in the context. And I've just really discovered this as I've been studying all of this. I said years ago, matter of fact, I believe 32 years ago when Don and I married and Dr. Kelly Varner performed the vows at uh, St. Mark uh, Episcopal Church where we got married in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Uh, one of the statements that I had to include was this concept that I had been digging out in Bible school was that there is one fruit of the Spirit and it's love and all of these others are, are expressions of that love, that, that, that joy was love's overflowing and, and peace was love's tranquility. And so Pastor Varner shared this in terms of the life that Don and I were committing to each other to have that kind of love shared between us, the higher love, the sacrificial, unconditional, everlasting love of the Father. Jesus is our peace, and the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see 14 and 15 on the screen, but I want to set the context for you. So I'm going to go back to actually a little bit further to verse 11. Just listen as I read. Then when we get to 14, you'll be able to see what I'm reading on the screen. So just listen. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. That's a mouthful. Verse 12, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Without. That's not a good place to be. Verse 13, but now. I love God's interruptions. You remember, you remember Sesame Street, conjunction, junction, watch your function. Putting together words and phrases and sentences. Everybody say, but. I love the buts of Scripture. And I've got to be careful how I say that. See, every one of us were in a path on a journey and some of us headed to a sinner's hell. But God interrupted and intervened in your life interjected the gospel at some point and you felt a tug on your heart, a, a pull of God toward himself. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. But now, there it is again, you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verse 14, here it is. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. How many of you know God's able to break down walls? And if he can break down the wall between Jew and Gentile 2,000 years ago on the cross, he can break down the wall between blacks and whites in the Mid-South, in the Delta. Verse 14 says, For Christ himself has brought us peace. I like a little bit harder more literal translation, more a little bit, this, this is, I, I think, a little bit more poetic. It's not inaccurate, but it's a little, a little more poetic. If you actually get the original, it would say, Christ himself is our peace. And I want you to grasp that this morning. And so when we realize that, there's nothing wrong with the way this is stated because I bring with you, I bring with me who I am to you. So when Christ comes, he brings who he is. Christ himself is our peace. He brought us peace when he came. Come, because he is peace. Do you get it? Okay. 
And verse 15, he says, he did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He, say the two words, say it, here we go. He made peace, I love it. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two, the two people groups. One more verse, verse 16. Together is one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Everybody say it died. I love it. The, the word peace in scripture is one of those beautiful compound names of Yahweh. We've English transliterated that into the word Jehovah. Yahweh in Hebrew actually is the unspeakable name of God because there are no vowels in it. It's just Y-H-W-H. It would just be Yahweh. And so we've put the vowels in it, Yahweh, Yahweh, and it became Jehovah. And in Scripture, the compound names of God reveal His character or His nature to us. In Exodus 17, the people are plagued with disease. And God reveals himself through Moses to the people of Israel as Yahweh Rophe or Jehovah Rapha, which is the Lord our healer. How many of you thankful if you're sick, the Lord can heal you? In, in Psalm 23, he revealed himself as, as, as Yahweh Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. Jeremiah, Jehovah Sidkenu or Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. In Judges chapter 6, verse 24, God reveals himself to a little coward by the name of Gideon. And he shows up and defeats the Midianites and destroys the enemy. And he shows up as, the, as Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. How many know our God is the God of peace? One of the promises in the book of Romans, Paul writes, and he says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. How many of you know the only the devil's rightful place is looking up between your toes? The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Jesus already put him under his feet. How many of you know you've got to get up and put him under yours? In the name of Jesus. Jehovah Shalom. I don't have time to tell the story, but just a very brief remembrance to you. Gideon was a little guy who was troubled by the Midianites that were stealing the crops of the faithful people of Israel. And he was down threshing wheat in the wine press. How many of you know you don't thresh the wheat in the wine press? You don't get down in a hidden place. You thresh wheat out in the open so that when you throw it up in the air, then the, the chaff is blown away by the wind and what settles on the ground in front of you is the good stuff. But, but Gideon is scared of the enemy because the Midianites have been rolling into town regularly and, and raping and pillaging and stealing and killing and destroying and doing what the enemy does. Now remember we're in the Bible, we're in the New Covenant, we, we cease to focus on people groups. Flesh and blood are not our enemy, but Satan, principalities and powers, sometimes ideas, thoughts, mentalities are what we're battling against. We're, people are not our enemies. I don't care what color they are. I have one brother that agreed with me and believed that. The rest of you need to wake up. I said people are not our enemies. Come on. But it's what motivates those people, the mindset, the mentality that drives them. And we're here as the people of God to, to stand against that worldview and to love people in spite of them persecuting or reviling against us or even using us. Somebody say amen. 
And so Gideon is trusting God and he gets visited by an angel of the Lord who shows up and says, Hail thou mighty man of valor and courage. And Gideon goes, You talking to me? How many of you know when God shows up and appoints you and calls you and taps you on his on your shoulder and he pulls you and he reels you in to his gravitational force, he will speak things over you that you don't even yet see in your own life yet because he's scared to death. His knees are knocking together because he's scared of the Midianites. He's threshing wheat down in the wine press and an angel of God shows up and he says, Fear not, thou mighty man of valor. I mean, why is it that in America that we always think of these things in such concrete, literal absolutes? We, we think courageous people don't have any fear. Courage is standing up in spite of the fear. Who was that, that, that great prophet of God, John Wayne, said it this way? <laughs> he says, courage is being scared and saddling up anyway. Look at your neighbor and say, saddle up. <laughs> the parade of thoughts I remember that 90's Stephen Curtis Chapman song that said saddle up your horses <laughs> that's not part of the message okay my sister-in-law loves me she's just laughing at my jokes so. he's called the God of peace and the God of peace showed up and defend, defended the Israelites and defeated the enemy Isaiah the prophet got a hold of this concept and he, he, he was able to kind of link up. He got the password to heaven's internet and he linked up and started streaming a video. He, he snapchatted with heaven for a little bit and he got a little quick picture and he stood up and prophesied and he said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's Isaiah chapter 7 and people laughed, laughed him to scorn. Didn't happen in his lifetime. A century passed, two centuries, three centuries, four centuries, five centuries, six, seven centuries. And Isaiah has to look over the balcony of heaven and says, Look down there in that manger in Bethlehem. See, I told you a virgin was going to conceive. And it was seven centuries later before his word of prophecy was vindicated. And just to stay in that flow a little bit and just kind of replay the Snapchat for you, what he saw from heaven. He got in that flow and he says... For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Finish it. What is it and what? Prince. Everybody say, come on. Prince of Peace. I love this. The word shalom has all of these beautiful derivatives. The, the, the city of Salem means city of peace. Jerusalem, city of peace. It's anything but that. Because of all the conflict and the strife, the controversy, the land grabbing. And that's a whole different political issue I'm not even going to touch. The scripture reminds us in the book of Psalms to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. David's son, king of Israel in the greatest time, the peak of the kingdom of Israel, was under Solomon, David's son. Solomon is another derivative of the word shalom, Solomon. Prince of Peace literally is what Solomon means. And so he's a picture. He's an old covenant type of the Prince of Peace that's yet to come. Jesus, our greater Solomon, our heavenly Solomon. So we see this morning that Jesus gives us this peace. He comes as an everlasting father, a mighty warrior, a mighty God, strong, strength, power. 
Peace is love's tranquility. It's the calm in the storms. It's the, pe- it's the poise in conflict, the power in weakness. It's the provision in need. Third point this morning. Can you believe I'm that close to finishing? Don't let me fool you. I'm going to go on a little while. Look at your neighbor and say, we knew it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Say that with me. Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says it. This is part of the list of what are called the Beatitudes. Be this attitude. Let this be the expression of who you are as a Christian, as a believer. He says it this way. God blesses those who work. Say it with me. Work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. King James says it this way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Those who work for peace. Sometimes you have to work at peace. You have to sit down and negotiate peace. Peace isn't just the loudest person in the family standing up and screaming and saying, Peace! That gets everybody's attention, but it doesn't mean there's really peace. My mother always lived by this adage of peacemaking. And bless her heart, she she was the premier mom I, I don't in any way want to besmirch or, or present a wrong impression because I, I do not know of a mama. Every, every, everybody ought to love their mama. I don't think there's a better mama that's ever been alive on the planet than my mama, Mary, who, who loved us truly with an unconditional, everlasting kind of love. But there were seasons when the four of us, I have two older siblings, I'm 57, Dewey, my younger brother, is, is 53. He'll be 54 in August. So there's a little bit over three years between us. Well, go 14 years up above me, and then there are two more. My sister Phyllis and my older brother Jim, they're three years apart. So you've got two sets of kids, three years apart on both ends, in a 14-year span. Everybody say trouble. Because um, the older ones thought mom and dad just were spoiling the whatever you want to fill in the blank out of the two younger ones. And actually... You know, those two were born in the 50s, and we were really kind of coming of age in the 70s. And I guess they were born in the 40s, actually, and coming of age in the 50s. We were born in the 60s and coming of age in the 70s. And they just thought mom and dad were just just being so much better to us than they were to them. And mom had to set them down one time and say, look, Phyllis, Jim, we make more money now than we did. Just like when you get married and you have a better standard of living, you will do everything you can for your children. They weren't blessed with a car at 16 like I was and like Dewey was. And they just, one of them got really, got an attitude, you know. And I remember that stuff. And mom was just always trying to keep the peace. How many know there's a difference in keeping the peace and really making peace? Because sometimes keeping the peace means you just kind of, uh, you want peace so bad that you just let everybody run roughshod over your life and you're the one always giving and always just enduring and biting your tongue and, and refusing to get offended and, and just always looking for the best and believing the best and forgiving the rest. And I'm, I believe in all of that stuff. But how many of you know sooner or later, it, 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 sometimes folk have to wake up and go, wait a minute, sit down. We're going to have us a little family meeting around here. What we have is not peace, it's detente, it's organized tension. Mama's given 110%, Daddy, we don't even know what's happening with him and these kids are worthless. Now I'm not trying to read anybody's mail this morning, I don't know what's happening in your house, it's kind of a universal thing. 
And you're just praying, Lord, let these kids do their chores in a good attitude. And that's the one that you hear the scripture and you go, with God, all things are possible. And you really doubt whether that one is actually possible. <laughs> and so you say, okay, look, we're going to have to make some peace in this house. We're, we, we're going to have to realize that everybody's going to have to bring something to the table. And we're going to have to sacrifice one for all and all for one. And it's not just all on mama. I looked at my, my sweet mama one day, and I was, I was a teenage boy, and I probably knew, thought I knew more than, than my parents did. I, I remember having that time in my life like that, and then it didn't take me but a little while to figure out that I didn't. But I was kind of in the Word, and I thought I was kind of a super Christian as a teenager. And, and so I just said, Mama, I just don't think this means what you think it means. I think you need to speak up. I don't think, I don't think it's about keeping peace. It's about making peace, and you have to work at it. Listen, if you've been married to the same woman for 30 years and she still loves you, we need to, we need to celebrate you. We need to celebrate her, my goodness. Because she put up with your old self. And, and you've chosen to love and you've chosen to walk together and work together. And it ain't all roses and sometimes you have to work for peace. Come on, somebody say amen. We, 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 we do our best to just try to keep it real around here and, and, and so that we can... You know, not present some kind of an idea to folk that, that we're a bunch of folk who think we're perfect because we're not. And we know that the only perfect one, his name is Jesus. And Jesus is our peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says it this way. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe some of you don't feel like you've been to church unless you've heard it in King James because it just sounds more spiritual. I remember memorizing this one as a teenager. I was a freshman in college at Arkansas State University and I'd walk out of my dorm every morning with a 3 by 5 card and be, be memorizing scripture in between classes. And I remember learning this one. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. Or I think the King James says, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that word keep there, this is why I love the new translations, because... What you have to dig out by studying the Greek already appears in words that we use. Paul is writing the, the, the prison epistles. He's writing the prison, the, the epistle of Philippians, and he's writing the Philippian church, and he's chained between two praetorian guards. And he's literally using that example right there. He says, if you'll just learn to not worry about anything, but you'll pray about it, if you'll pray instead of worrying it, he says, something will show up that will give you poise in the middle of your conflict. The storm might not even end, but it'll help you. You'll be centered right in the eye of the hurricane. It'll be tearing up all around you, but you'll be in a place of protection. Everybody else might be in lack, but you'll be walking in shalom, in the provision of God, the prosperity, the blessing of God. Paul is chained between two guards, and he says, if you'll learn to thank God for all he's done and let him know what you need, he says, then you'll experience the peace of God and it will guard your heart. It literally in the Greek, it, it says that he will garrison about like being guarded by armed soldiers. He's literally being protected as he writes to the New Testament church. What would depress most folks, what would distress most people, 
Corey Ten Boom said it this way, if you look out to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look into yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look up to God, you will be at rest. And if you'll learn to tell Him what you need instead of worrying about it and fretting about it and wringing your hands over it and, and then when you finish telling Him what you need, spend some extra time thanking Him for what He's already done. Because whether you remember it or not, some of you right now are walking in the blessing that you prayed for a few years ago. Isn't it amazing to remember how excited you were when you were praying about the potential of a new job or a promotion or an increase and then the increase comes and the boosted salary comes and six months into it you're just already forgotten about it and kind of in a complaining, whiny mode again and you need to be reminded to be thankful for all that God has done for you. Come on, somebody help me a little bit this morning. I had a friend of mine text me and said, take this day, it's yours. And bless God, I'm doing it this morning. Hallelujah. Isaiah 52, beautiful passage of Scripture, says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, that our God reigns. That was in that video streaming moment when Isaiah was connected to the internet of heaven and he got a, he got a video stream picture. He saw the beautiful feet of one proclaiming peace, announcing news that our God reigns. And that's a picture, a prophetic picture of Jesus. And he's saying that Jesus has beautiful feet. I want to remind you this morning that even the, the, the warfare, the armament that we, the armor that we put on that's listed in Ephesians chapter 6, a, a sword of the Spirit and a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness and our loins girt about with truth. Don't forget what you're walking in. Does anybody know what your shoes are called? Your feet are shod with the gospel of what? Everybody say peace. Now think about this. You are walking into the midst of a conflict in battle, but you're standing in, I'm not going to take my shoes off here, but you're standing up in, you're standing in peace. This is God's version of Air Jordans. You start walking in God's peace brand, baby, you're going to have some ups. Don't tell me white men can't jump. Even a fat white man can jump. You get me to walking in some peace, hallelujah. I can step into the middle of the battle and have poise in that conflict. Because I'm walking in peace. I love that. But you know what? It's not just about Jesus singularly by himself having beautiful feet. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who... Bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness that our God reigns. Paul the Apostle grabbed this Old Testament Isaiah prophecy and he brings it to the New Testament. And anytime you bring an Old Testament promise to the New Testament, it always gets multiplied. In Romans chapter 10 verses 15, it says, As the prophet announced, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them. Some of you caught that. Isaiah says singularly, him. But you get it over into the New Testament where the Prince of Peace has put his peace into a company of people. The him becomes a them. And I'm looking at them. You is them. Man, that's a, that's a mess of a grammar a statement, but you is them. We are they. It came from him. 
We're not the source, but the source now is alive on the inside of us. And look at your neighbor right now and say, you've got pretty feet. How beautiful upon the mountains. Uh, the newer translations say the feet of the messenger, singular in Isaiah. And it says the feet of the messengers, plural in Romans. So now I'm called to be a peacemaker. I'm called to announce peace. That means I have to go and negotiate peace sometimes between a, a husband and wife who love each other, but they've momentarily forgot who they are. I've got to restoke the fire and remind them of their promises to each other and, and, and pull away all the junk and just the, the, the nonsense and, and, and the drama and, and break it down and both people cry and, 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 and all of a sudden he's looking at her in a different kind of way and she's seeing it and responding and all of a sudden peace is coming into some hearts. I love my job when I see that happen. Hallelujah. Go back and let me, let me have our message text this morning. Verse 15. Read it out loud with me. Come on. And let the peace that comes from what? Rule in your hearts. Well, how do I have ruling peace? That word rule there in the Greek literally means umpire. We have officials that call penalties in football games, the refs, you have folks that are calling fouls in basketball games, people on high chairs sitting on the side calling a fault in tennis. All the sports, any kind of competition always has someone there that has the authority to decide between the two that are playing or the teams that are playing or whatever. A penalty is exacted. And in the American sport baseball, we have an umpire. We have an umpired home plate. One at first base, one that's working the second base, the field, that whole area. And you've seen it on shows. You've probably been to baseball stadiums and you've seen the ump do this. What does that mean? Safe, okay? Or you've heard him in the stands without amplification get a growl and go, and you're out! You can see this, and you don't even have to hear his voice. You know what this means. Plays no good, you're out. You don't score the home run. Beautiful thing, though, about the Holy Spirit, it says, let the peace of God rule. Let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. Beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't wait until you've run the play to call the shot. He, he'll give you an overwhelming sense of tranquility, of poise, of calmness, of provision. They will show up. My, my dad always used to do this every time he would make a major decision. If it meant committing finances for an extended period of time, we were going to buy a new car, no matter how much the family had car fever and mom was going, hey, Grady, let's get this. And Daddy would always say, no, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sleep on it and I'll let you know tomorrow. And the salesmen were pretty smart. They would say, well, Mr. Smith, why don't you just go ahead and drive it home? And, and this, I, I, does, do car dealers even do that anymore? That, that daddy brought the car home, hadn't signed anything, hadn't given them a penny. Brought the, and, of course, the car dealer, which salesman, was pretty smart. He knew that if he brought it home and woke up the next morning and looked at it, he would have what he was looking for. He'd have some peace in his heart. But that, that didn't always happen. One time, daddy said, no, this is not my car, and he took it back. He would say, I'm going to sleep on it. How many of you ever heard your parents say that? 
There's a reason they did that, and it's important that we learn that because they were looking for something that would not be a decision that would be made in the heat of the moment emotionally. But they would connect to, um, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's like you get a gut feeling. And that's a Bible idea because the Scripture talks about bowels of mercies. Bowels are in your guts. You get an impression. You, get, you, just, you just know down in your knower that you need to do this or you don't. I mean, I, I, I talk to people all the time who have an opportunity to, to take a new job. And, and man, it looks good. There's going to be an increase in pay. It's, it's a great city, but you're uprooting your family and they're happy in their schools and you're in a great church and you've got all these wonderful relationships. And, and, and sometimes I've seen people just move out of the sheer excitement of a substantial increase. Maybe it was $40,000, $50,000 a year. And we've had some people who've left and moved to cities and had crazy increases. And sometimes it just all fell apart. We've had people who've moved and it's been a great blessing. So I'm not trying to tell you, you know, that you get in here and you can't get out because I believe God moves His army around. I do, I believe that. But I believe that when you do, you need to listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit and where is peace? Let the peace of God rule your heart. Let it umpire your heart. Let it call the shot. Because the Holy Spirit will say, no, 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 no. I know this sounds exciting to you. You're on third base and you think you're about to, to, to finish this run and run it in and get something on the scoreboard. But I'm telling you, I've got a better opportunity for you. Do not run yet. Stay. No, no. No, no peace, nothing. Not yet. I'm going to give you something, but I want you to wait. And we don't like to wait. Sometimes the most... Difficult thing that we do is to have God give us, not give us a, 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 a green light or even a caution, but just flat a red light and say, no, stop, this is not it. And you're looking at it from the outside and you're going, this is ideal. And you're sold on it. And you're telling your wife how amazing it's going to be and it's in a great city and amazing schools and we're going to get this X number of dollars increase. And she says, I know it looks so good, but I ain't got no peace. I don't have any peace, baby. And let me tell you something, you better learn to listen to your own heart and to the other half of you, men and women. Somebody say amen, because that's there for a reason. God, I, I did a series years ago called Seven Guiding Lights, and the peace of God is one of those, where he will umpire, he will call the shots, he will say, yeah, come on, this is it, safe, come on, go ahead and run it. Come on, run in from third, run across home, get the score, get the job, get the promotion, make the move, this is great. Other times he'll say, no, 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 this is not it. Just wait. And he won't give us that sense of tranquility. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So you want to learn to listen and pay attention because the fruit of the Spirit of God called peace, that is love's tranquility. Remember that it's the calm in storms, it's poison conflict, it's power and weakness, it's provision and need. So let the umpire, let the Holy Spirit umpire, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I want you to take out your notes, if you've got the notes, and I want you to write these eight things down real quick. We can do this in one minute, so hurry up. Here we go. These are eight things that hinder peace. Number one, unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, it will rob your peace. Number two, willful sin. Unconfessed sin is something you've done in the past and you haven't dealt with it to make your relationship right. with it. You don't lose your relationship when you sin. You, you lose your fellowship. It gets hindered. There's tension. There's like static in the line, okay? 
Willful sin is something different. It is knowing no, you know better. You know you shouldn't be hanging out. Ain't no business being down there at 2 o'clock in the morning. Get off of that chat. Quit texting her at work. Leave him alone. Don't try that. I know everybody says it's a new drug. It'll help you out. Leave it alone. Willful sin. When you know you're stepping into territory that you know better, that'll rob you peace. Number three, worrying instead of praying. Now, if I hadn't hit everybody, that one just did. Worrying instead of praying. Number four, focusing on circumstances instead of the Lord. Peace is not the absence of strife. It's poise in the middle of it. Corey Ten Boom says, if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look to yourself, you'll be depressed. If you look to God, you'll be at rest. Number five is fear. God didn't intend for you to be scared. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Look at your neighbor and say, ain't scared. Number six, not waiting on the Lord. Not waiting on God will, will steal your peace. Not waiting on the Lord. Number seven, how we view God. You think God's angry, he's aggravated, he's frustrated, he's watching you on the brow of the hill ready to beat you up. Come on, some of us have been raised in a hyper-fundamentalist southern churchianity where we think God is just seething like, like Zeus on the Mount Olympus. And he's just always angry. Come on, let me just tell you, God sent Jesus. He poured out his wrath upon Jesus to make a way for you. And God's not mad at anybody in this room. I, I, I dare you to believe that, to remain in that love, to abide in that love and realize there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you did or will do or could do that would make him love you any less. Somebody say amen. amen. Number eight, selfishness. Selfishness, just quit being just self-absorbed in an old clod. Come on, let go of it. Love somebody else outside of yourself. I, this morning, need a peace, fresh start. As I close this message, listen to this scripture, my last one, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Everybody say, peace with God. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. Before you can know the peace of God, you have to experience peace with God. Peace with God means that you realize that if the end of your world happened right now, now quit worrying about the end of the world because only the Father knows when that's going to happen. None of these any-minute rapture folks know. They don't have a clue. They've missed it. Every prediction they've made. I'm not talking about the end of the world. God only knows that, but the end of your world. You could walk out of this room today. You could not wake up in the morning and it'd be the end of your world. And you stand before the Father and the books of heaven are opened and have your books been reconciled. Have you reconciled your bank account? Are, in, are you in the red? Have you let Jesus, who writes all of our wrong balances, who actually makes up all of our arrears, all of our NSFs, all of our insufficient funds when it comes to the favor of God, when it comes to the expectation that God has for a holy people. Nobody in the, we all come up NSF. In my own strength, in my own might, apart from Him, I'm nothing. But this morning, I can gladly say, I can boast in Christ. And I can say, Christ is in me because He is, I am enough. Not me, myself, but Christ in me. Are you hearing me this morning? Christ is enough. 
And so today, before you can know the peace of God in your life, you have to be acquainted with peace with God. Basically, it is the fact that the post office of heaven no longer has your picture with a wanted statement on the top. But you've, you've come to be, be part of the family of God. And you can have peace with God this morning before we close this service because the pull of God's moving and active in this room right now. He's tapping some folks on the shoulder. The Father knew you before the foundation of the world and He appropriated your salvation. The Son came and He accomplished it on the cross and right now the Holy Spirit is applying it to specific people in this room. So today if that's you, I want to ask everybody in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. 